morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. Christian Bunny are with us this morning. Well deserved weekend off. See Bunny's dad. Good thing for them to do, but that leaves us without Gina. So you're stuck with me and my guitar. It's going to be a country music Sunday. We come here to worship God together. We come to marvel at how great God is and just give Him the worship of our souls. So, the song is her song, The Wonder of It All. Talking about how great and mighty God is. If you want to follow along in our hymn book, it's number 65 in your hymn books, or you can use the word on freedom. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the service this morning. Who here likes spring? <laughs> well, I hope you like it, because it's over. Man, it was cold again this morning. Ay, ay, ay. Will it ever end? Anyway, at least we still got the sunshine, and it's supposed to warm up again next week, so spring is coming. Anyway, if you would like uh, to open up your bulletins and uh, just read along with me, the call to worship this morning is from Psalm 28. We'll just read it together. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts, and with my song, I shall thank him. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can uh, that we can gather here this morning in your church. Uh, we thank you for everyone that uh, that came out this morning and uh, and uh, to uh, to listen to to the message that uh, you have prepared uh, with Glenn uh, to give to us this morning. I pray that you will uh, open our hearts and our minds and just to receive that message and and to apply it to our daily lives, Lord. And uh, so we thank you for that. Thank you for the freedom that we can do this. And I just thank you for everyone here this morning, Lord. And we just want to hand this service over to you, to your praise and to your glory, because you are so good to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture reader. After many days had gone by, Acts 9:20. After many days had gone by, the, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul leaned, I mean, learned their plan. Day after night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But the followers took him by night and lowered him in the basket through an opening in the wall. When th when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the the oh disciples, but they weren't all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He thought he told um, them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that he, um, that the Lord had spoken to him and how Demonicus, um, he had preached fearlessly in the name of the Jesus. Um, so Saul stayed with them and moved freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace was and was strengthened, lived in fear of the Lord, and encouraged. encouraged by the Holy Spirit in it, increased, increased in numbers. Thank you, Natasha, and daughters. <laughs> that was great. I appreciate you guys reading the scriptures for us this morning. Um, also, I neglected Amber. Thank you very much for the prelude this morning, playing the piano. I really appreciate that as well. And Jeremy for leading the service this morning. So as we uh, prepare our hearts for what God may have for us in his word today, uh, let's just ask him to guide us. Lord God, we, we just ask that you would... Just come alongside each one of us personally uh, and help us, Lord, to understand what this passage of Scripture means for us here today. 
We've all come here this morning to this building. We have different things going on in our minds, uh, different events that have happened in the past week or whatever, and uh, we have things that we are needing to face uh, in the week ahead. And we all have all kinds of stuff swirling around in our minds and in our heads and different emotions and different thoughts and, and different mindsets. But Lord, we've come here together to hear from you. And so Lord, as we unpack this passage of scripture this morning, how I pray that as only you can, that you would take your word and apply it to each one of us wherever we may be at. And that we could hear it and we could learn from it, we could know what you're saying to us personally through it, and we could live it out. Help me, Lord, to speak it in such a way that you could do that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Some of you old-timers, there's not that many of us left in this church, <laughs> old-timers, <laughs> but some of you old-timers may remember the big Woodstock music festival. Uh, you younger people probably have heard of it, but you wouldn't remember it. Major outdoor rock music festival in August of 1969. Uh, near Woodstock, New York, but actually not at Woodstock like originally planned. It was actually closer to the little town of Bethel. It was actually out on a farmer's, farmer's field <laughs> there close to the town of Bethel, not far from Woodstock. But anyway, it's called Woodstock, and at its peak, over 400,000 people showed up for that weekend in 1969. It's estimated that during the course of that weekend of peace and love and hippies and <laughs> hippies in their heyday and doing what hippies do and so-called peace and love and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of sinful activity going on. But anyway, it's estimated that during the course of that weekend, 2.7 million gallons of water was sold, 750,000 cans of beer, 100,000 hot dogs, and I was surprised with the number of the hot dogs was that low. <laughs> 15,000 pounds of granola. <laughs> Apparently they ran out of food a lot of vendors, so they started just bringing in granola, and just granola became the thing. <laughs> and one bar of soap. <laughs> was sold in that weekend. <laughs> One bar of soap. <laughs> and as that illustrates, sometimes we get mixed up as to what is important and what is not important. We get caught up in the excitement of a thing or really get focused on one particular idea or a particular project or a goal that we have and we lose sight of what those things are that are fundamentally important. And the really important thing kind of gets pushed aside. We can see that happen in our Christian lives as well. Sometimes in our efforts to get closer to God or to find that abundant life that Jesus promised, which are good things, or sometimes in our focus or effort to get our church to grow or to reach out and draw people to Christ, we come up with all kinds of ideas and programs and schemes to do that. And we forget about the important, the basic necessities of the Christian life that are really important. In our journey through the book of Acts, we come today to a passage that's kind of in the middle of chapter 9 of the book of Acts that I'd like to look at today. So it's a passage that uh, Natasha and her daughters read for us. So it's Acts 9, verse 23 to 31. So I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, it's a passage that kind of moves on from what we looked at last week. And it didn't really go with the lessons of last week that we looked at. And in the passage right after this, from verse 32 and following, the focus shifts away from Saul to Peter. And uh, so that kind of starts a bit of a new section. So today we're going to look at these verses that are kind of in between. They record some of the early activities of this man, Saul. <coughs> As we've seen, a strict, zealous Pharisee who was stopped cold in his tracks on the road to Damascus when he saw the risen Jesus 
and spoke to him. And Jesus spoke to him. And he realized that in fact Jesus was the Messiah that he, or that had been promised to the Jewish people and to the whole world. Which Saul had been fighting against that teaching all along. So Saul repented. He placed his faith in Jesus as his savior and became an ardent follower of Jesus and a great preacher and evangelist. We looked at all that last week. This section we're looking at today tells us about some of the activities of this man Saul right shortly after his conversion. Some of the activities, some of the preaching of the gospel, and some of the struggles that he came up against very early on. And as Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, as he uh, records these events for us, there are some truths that come out of this story. And they are about some important, necessary, fundamental things concerning living the Christian life. So let's first go through the text so we can better understand what Luke is recording here and what's going on, and then we'll look at the points of application. So, chapter 9, verse 23. It says, when many days had elapsed, in my translation, we aren't told how many days. Uh, at least one translation that I read says, after a considerable amount of time had passed, so we aren't given any time frame here in this passage. But we are given more information in one of the epistles that Paul wrote, where Paul gives his own account of this time period. And that's Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. Let's take the time to read that. So I'd like you to turn there in, in your Bibles. And I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. So Paul is talking to the Galatian believers here, and he's making a point. We'll get into it later. Um, Galatians 1, verse 15. So Paul says, But when God, who had set me apart from even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's talking about that Damascus Road experience. <laughs> I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to, up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia. And then returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. And stayed with him for 15 days. So those three years that Paul is talking about there in Galatians is most likely... Fits right in there where, verse 23, many days had elapsed. So that section there, verses 23 to 26 probably, those are things that probably would have taken place uh, during those three years that Paul talks about back in the book of Galatians. So that's a three-year period. Paul left to Damascus to go to Arabia shortly after his conversion. Now Arabia, that's kind of a province... That was just to the east, uh, Damascus. Uh, we're going to look at this in a bit. But Damascus kind of sat right close to the border between Syria and Arabia. Damascus was a major city of Syria. But it was right close to the border of Arabia. Arabia was kind of off to the east. And yeah, so Paul left Damascus to go to Arabia shortly after his conversion. And then he returned to Damascus and then went up to Jerusalem, as verse 26 says. So all of that was over a span of three years. That's significant. We're going to come back to it. So presumably during his time in Damascus, both right after he became saved and then in Arabia and then back to Damascus, the time he was in Damascus, Paul actively preached the gospel in the synagogues and perhaps to the Gentiles outside of the synagogue. That's kind of what it says there, verses 20 to 22. And those Jews who refused to accept that Jesus was alive and was the Messiah just kept getting more angry and more frustrated and more against to the point where they were actively seeking and plotting to kill Saul. And they were watching the city gates day and night so they could catch him if he tried to leave so they could do away with him. But, verse 24 and following now, the plot became known to Saul. And so his followers, uh, my translation says disciples, he would have been talking about those who had come to faith in Jesus through Saul's preaching and teaching. 
his followers let Saul down in a big basket <laughs> through an opening in the wall. And thus Saul escaped out of Damascus and went down to Jerusalem. So there in Jerusalem, Saul tried to get in with the disciples who were in Jerusalem. But those Christians at Jerusalem were still leery about Saul. He was, in their memory, a great persecutor of Christians in Jerusalem. They had heard some rumors about his, con his, uh, his conversion, but they didn't believe it. So they didn't allow Saul to associate with him. But then this man Barnabas comes along. And he took Saul under his wing. Barnabas. We've already been introduced to Barnabas. Uh, back in chapter 4, verse 36. There it tells us about this Barnabas, how he sold a tract of land and brought the money to the apostles, laid it at his feet. And it tells us there that actually Barnabas is actually a nickname. His real name was Joseph, as it says there back in 4, verse 36. His real name was Joseph. He was nicknamed Barnabas. And that's what everybody called him. They just called him Barnabas. Called him by his nickname. Ever heard of anybody that has a nickname that has become so well known that that's what everybody knows him by? They don't even know, know his real name. <laughs> Ever heard of that? I had a nickname when I was in Bible college uh, that everybody knew me by. And everybody called me by for the whole time I was there. And I get back to people. They still call me by that nickname. I'm, I'm, I just don't have another name. <laughs> it's just a nickname. And the nickname was Doc. It happened because at one occasion I had kind of a white denim jacket that was a bit longer, <laughs> and I wore it once. <laughs> Are you a doctor or what? What's going on here? And I was doc from then on, and that's what everybody at Briarcrest of those days knows me by. Barnabas, that was his nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And that's how he got the nickname. He was such an encouragement to everyone, to all those around him. He was just known as an encourager. And so they called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. So true to his character, Barnabas came along and took Saul under his wing. Introduced him to the apostles, vouched for Saul, explained the, his conversion experience, explained to them the sincerity of his conversion, that this guy really has become a Christian. He told them about Saul's encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and how Saul had preached powerfully that Jesus is the Messiah back there in Damascus. And so the apostles then accepted Saul as a true brother in Christ. So Saul was then able to move freely among the Christians in Jerusalem and he started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem. He argued with the Greek-speaking or Hellenistic Jews, some translations say. Uh, those are Jews that were from other countries, and so they were Greek-speaking people, but Jews nonetheless. He argued with them. And the point of the argument would have been that Jesus is the Messiah. But those Jews stubbornly refused to believe it and to accept that teaching. And so again, a plot was formed to kill Saul. They refused to accept the truth about Jesus they couldn't out-argue Saul, because Saul, very powerfully from the scriptures, showed that Jesus really fulfills everything the Old Testament says about the Messiah. And they couldn't see it, wouldn't see it, refused to see it, and so they couldn't out-argue him, so they tried to kill him off. So I guess cancel culture was alive and well back in these days as well. But again, the plot became known, and Saul's fellow Christians escorted him to Caesarea. That's a city north, quite a ways north and west of Jerusalem. It's right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, up a little further north. And they escorted him there, and he got away from Jerusalem. So then, verse 21 closes with the information that, for a time after that, the church in general enjoyed a time of peace. And the Christians were built up, and they were going out, going on in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the church continued to grow. We'll see as we continue on in Acts that this time of peace would be short-lived. But for a while it lasted. And while it lasted, it was enjoyed and it was taken advantage of. 
And more and more people came to know Jesus as Savior. So that's the story of these verses in this chapter. And as I said, there's some points of application here as to what is important in the Christian life, in our Christian lives, and in the church in general. Now, it's not an exhaustive sermon on this subject by any means. But there are just a couple things that come out of this passage that talk about what's important, that we would do well to look at. It's necessary for us as Christians to pay attention to what is important in the Christian life. And so a study of the important aspects of the Christian life that come out of this passage will help us do that. So I just got two this morning. Number one, the importance of spending time getting grounded in your faith. The importance of spending time getting grounded in your faith. And I want to look at that time period that's covered in verse 23, when many days had elapsed. And throw in that, what we know about that time period from what we read there in Galatians, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, put that together, and that's what I want to look at. If you would do a study of the book of Galatians, uh, you would see that the point that Paul was making, by that time, this man Saul is known as Paul, but the point that he is making to the Galatians as he wrote that epistle to the Galatians was that he was, in fact, a true apostle. There were critics of Paul there in Galatia who poured doubt on the fact that he was a true apostle because he had no encounter with Jesus himself. And Paul is answering those critics there in Galatians chapter 1. That's why he's talking the way he is. He did, in fact, encounter the risen Jesus. And the message and the gospel that he preached, he received from Jesus himself, not from any man. That's what made him qualified to be an apostle. So that's the point he's making there in Galatians chapter 1. And to show that, Paul relates to them the timeline of events. He was converted by that encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was in Damascus then, and then in Arabia, and then he went back to Damascus. And it was only after three years that he went back to Jerusalem and got acquainted with Peter, or Cephas, as it's called there in Galatians. And also with James. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 19 says. So Paul's point is that the gospel message he received came directly from Jesus himself and not from any man or from any of the apostles who were apostles before him. He had already received it and was already preaching it before he had even met Peter and James. So he is, in fact, a true apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the point of why, what Paul is writing there in Galatians chapter 1. What interests me is that time he spent in Arabia. Now, I'm not sure if the text is saying that he was in Arabia for the whole three years. Probably not. He was in Damascus, then he was in Arabia, then he was back to Damascus. And then he went to Jerusalem. So that time, whole time period was three years. So how many... How long he was in Arabia, we are not told. But what was he doing in Arabia? Now, that's what interests me. Now, Damascus, as I said, was a major city in Syria, and at one time it was actually the capital of Syria, but it was right close to the border between Syria and Arabia. And Arabia at that time stretched all the way, Damascus is fairly far north, all the way down south to past the Dead Sea uh, and into the Arabia Desert there. And it is, for the most part, desert, Arabia. And that area east of Damascus was kind of wilderness area, desert area. So again, what was Paul doing in Arabia, in the desert? Seemingly, that's what it was. Why did he go there? What exactly did he do in Arabia? Where did he go in Arabia? Did he just go stay in that Damascus area, or did he go all the way down south? We, we don't know. We're just not told. I would like to suggest, and this is just a suggestion because we don't know. It's not, we're not told anywhere. But I would like to suggest that during this time that Saul went into the wilderness, he spent some time alone with God thinking through what all of this meant. He had seen the risen Jesus. 
Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Jesus was the fulfillment of all that. And now that he came to realize that truth, what did all that mean? What did that all imply? Saul was very well educated in the Old Testament. He knew it inside out. He was educated as a Pharisee, strict Pharisee, according to the customs of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. So Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out, backwards and forwards. He knew it. Until now, he had looked at it and interpreted it through the lens of the Pharisees, the Pharisees' way of thinking. Now, after realizing Jesus is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, he had seen Jesus risen on the Damascus Road, so he had to accept that truth. But now he had to look at everything differently. He had to look at the Old Testament scriptures through that lens. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. So it seems to me at least that perhaps this time spent in Arabia, which was a wilderness country, he spent much of it alone with God just working through all of this in his mind. And the Holy Spirit was directing his thoughts to see the Old Testament scriptures correctly. And see how it should be correctly interpreted and what it really meant. In that period, he would have begun to see everything, how everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, the Messiah. And how completely Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And how so much of the Old Testament law pointed to Jesus and was fulfilled by Jesus. And many of the things that God did for and with and in his people, the Jews, in the Old Testament was in fact a picture pointing ahead to the Messiah and how completely Jesus fulfilled it all. He would have had to work through that all in his mind and come to see the truth of that. And I would guess that the tremendous theological truths that Saul would write down as he wrote a letter to his letters to the churches, which today we call the Pauline Epistles, which make up much of the New Testament, I would guess and I would suggest that he worked through that all through with the guides of the Holy Spirit there in the Arabian Desert. Jesus, right at Saul's conversion, told Saul that he would be an apostle to the Gentiles. But Saul first needed time to really get grounded. Grounded in Jesus' teachings and how it all fit together with the Old Testament scriptures. And apparently Saul spent a good part of three years getting that grounding. Friends, this is important for all Christians. Making the choice to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your Savior is the start. That's the start. That's when you become a Christian. But vitally important then is the need to spend time getting grounded in your faith. I see this as a problem in the North American church today. Many who call themselves Christians, but very few of them have taken any time to think through what that all means. What does it mean now that I place my faith in Jesus? What does that mean as far as how I view the world around me? And how I view the people around me? What does that mean as far as my personal values are concerned? And the way I live my life, what does it mean about that? And what exactly does the Bible say? Many who call themselves Christians have no idea what the Bible really says. They've heard people tell them some snippets of what the Bible says. But they've never spent a lot of time reading it and letting God speak to them through it. My daughter Melissa shared with me an interesting conversation she had with her roommate. Fine Christian girl from all I can see. <laughs> I just know her very superficially, but seemingly a good Christian girl. But 
Melissa was there sharing a conversation that they had where she she said to Melissa, I, I, I'm not like you. I, in the Bible, I, I, I don't even know how to read the Bible. I don't even, I don't, I don't know, even, wouldn't even know where to start. I, I don't, she just kind of was coming across feeling quite lost. She was kind of doing some things that were not consistent with Christianity, which Melissa kind of talked to her about, and that's, that was how, how she responded to that. Christian, but didn't even know how to read the Bible. Didn't even know where to start. And so we have a pile of Christians who believe in Jesus, but have no idea what that means in practical terms. So they just keep on living life like the world around them lives life. Going in the same direction as the world around them. Which in reality is going the opposite direction than what Jesus wants his disciples to go in. Friends, this is important. If you are a Christian, you need to spend time getting grounded in your faith. Read your Bible regularly and prayerfully. Yeah, there's probably going to be things you don't understand, but there's lots of resources out there to help you understand the background and the times which it is written and the context in which it is written and how then to apply that to us today. Get involved in a Bible study if possible. Ask questions if you don't know something. We have an elder in our church, Jeremy. He can answer all your questions. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in for a little levity at this point. <laughs> we actually have three great elders in our church that are very well grounded in the word and can answer questions. <laughs> if you have questions. Take the time to get grounded in your faith. Yeah, it takes time, but take the time to do that. Paul devoted three years to this. And he was already highly educated in the Old Testament scriptures. This is important. This is one of those important things in living the Christian life that so often gets neglected as we get focused on other things. The importance of spending time getting grounded in your faith. Secondly, the importance of being an encourager. The importance of being an encourager. And I want to focus here on this man everyone called Barnabas. Because he was such an encouraging guy. Here was Saul, a man with a reputation in Jerusalem of being a very strict, zealous Pharisee who violently persecuted Christians to the point of even favoring putting them to death. He'd been gone for a few years, but now he's back in Jerusalem. And there are rumors going around that he had become a Christian. But the apostles and the Christians in Jerusalem didn't believe it. That was just too incredulous. They couldn't conceive of this guy who was such a zealous Pharisee and so against. Couldn't even conceive that he would have such a total turnaround and become a Christian. So they didn't believe it. Just too incredulous. So Saul gets back to Jerusalem and tries to get in with the Christians. And they are all really standoffish towards Saul. They're scared of him. They're leery. They don't want him in their midst. Because they're scared. But Barnabas comes along. And in his encouraging way, he's able to bring the Christians and Saul to bring them together. He got a hold of Saul. Says, come with me. Let me introduce you to the apostles. That's verse 27. Says that. And he did. The apostles, they didn't know Saul. Except his fierce reputation. But they did know Barnabas. And everybody knew Barnabas and trusted Barnabas and loved Barnabas. And so Barnabas was able to introduce them. And it was Barnabas who told the apostles about Saul's encounter with the risen Jesus on the road close to Damascus. And how it'd be, he had become a Christian. And it was Barnabas who told the apostles about this, how this Saul had spoken out boldly and preached the gospel of Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. And thus the apostles and the Christians accepted Paul or Saul as one of them. And from then on, Saul was able to move freely among the Christians there in Jerusalem. And he did so, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And when the Hellenistic Jews, or the Greek-speaking Jews, got so frustrated with Saul because they couldn't cope with the strength of his arguments, 
but Jesus being the Messiah, but they refused to accept it, they thus determined to kill him. And it says the brethren got him out of Jerusalem and out to Caesarea. The brethren, that refers to the Christians. So they had now fully accepted Saul as one of them, and thus they protected him and got him out of Jerusalem and out to Caesarea. Saul, as we know, and we're going to see this as we continue through the book of Acts, Saul would go on to become the Apostle Paul. Likely the greatest missionary for Jesus Christ the world has ever known. Because of his ministry, the history of the world was profoundly affected. So this is now, as we remember back, this is now the second time someone came alongside Saul and walked with him in his new life as a Christian. Last week, we saw a man named Ananias come to Saul and prayed for him and baptized him and got him in with the Christians at Damascus. And here we see Barnabas take a hold of Saul and get him in with the apostles and Christians in Jerusalem. Both men were instrumental in Saul's life as a new Christian. Both would have been a huge encouragement to Saul. Everyone knows the great apostle Paul. But I wonder, would there have been an Apostle Paul if there hadn't have been an, an Ananias or a Barnabas? If there hadn't have been those encouragers to come alongside Saul and help him in his early days as a Christian? I think that's likely true for all the great men and women of God who have done great things for the cause of Christ down through the, uh, the centuries. It seems to me that in almost every generation for the past 2,000 years, God raises up great leaders for his church in bringing the gospel to the world. Paul here in the first century, and we can think of Justin Martyr, or of Augustine, or of Martin Luther, or of John Wesley, or of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of Billy Graham, They all would have had their encouragers that were instrumental in them getting started and following God's call in their lives. People that the world perhaps will never know about, never hear about. But people who were vital in them becoming the leaders for the church of Jesus Christ that they became. Those encouragers, encouragers were not there. Would there have been those great leaders? That's a profound question. It's hard to overestimate the power and the importance of an encourager. They are likely just as important to the cause of Christ than the great leaders that they encourage are. And so this is the second important thing I see coming out of this passage. The importance of being an encourager. It's important. And I think a challenge for all of us. We need to be encouragers. We need to come alongside newer Christians and help them get established in a body of believers. For a new Christian, getting into a church family and living this new life of a Christian, for someone who's a new Christian has never... That's all totally foreign to them. And that can be a very scary thing for a new Christian. Very scary. They will all need some encouragers. Who knows? Maybe that person the Holy Spirit calls you to come alongside will someday be someone God has already laid his hands on to become a great minister for him. But they need an encourager to get them going. Like Paul needed a Ananias and a Barnabas. So the importance of being an encourager. So therefore we see from this passage some aspects of the Christian life that are really important. But sadly oftentimes missed and neglected. They are number one, the importance of spending time getting grounded in your faith. We all need to come to 
a good understanding of what the Bible says and teaches and what that means in living our daily lives. That's vitally important. We need to spend the time needed to do that. Secondly, the importance of being an encourager. It is unlikely any great man or woman of God would be what they are if there hadn't have been an encourager along the way to get them going and keep them going. In the long run, they're likely just as important as those great leaders themselves. So as we draw this to a close this morning, a couple of questions we need to wrestle with as we seek to apply this to our lives. First question, how grounded in my, in my faith am I? How grounded in my faith am I? And secondly, am I an encourager? We'll take our time of silence, encourage you to wrestle with those questions. And as we have a time of silence, that you would just be open to letting God tell you in your heart what he wants to tell you this morning. So I'll give you a few moments. Pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. It's a song we're going to sing, Higher Ground. And I invite you to sing that as a desire of your heart, that every day you're pressing on to gain those new heights. It's 399 in our hymn books if you want to follow along there. <clears throat> Stand as we sing. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts and cries and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. Oh, higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts at me are hurled, for faith has taught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher
plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And just kind of as we close this uh, portion of our service, 371, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And uh, again, let's make this a prayer. And I hope it's a prayer that you can pray sincerely, that you are really willing and ready and wanting to let God have his way in your life. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me Thanks for your singing. You may be seated. 